following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. We're returning our study to the Gospel of Mark this morning. Uh, we're going to look at uh, chapter 14, verses 32 to 52, and that's page 851 in the Pew Bible. I already didn't want to preach this sermon this morning. The Spirit's not made it any easier. But I think that probably will prove the point of the sermon this morning. We're going to be dealing with a difficult topic. Um, several. At least one has given theologians a great deal of difficulty. And that is the humanity of Christ. Humanity of Christ. They said that uh, liberal scholars emphasize, maybe even overemphasize, the humanity of Christ, uh, but have difficulty with his divinity, whereas conservative scholars emphasize the divinity of Christ, that Jesus is God, um, but have great difficulty with his humanity, the fact that Jesus is both fully man and fully God are very difficult for our finite brains to handle. And in our text this morning, we're going to see the humanity of Christ on full display. And we will see just exactly how he deals with it. And I think that's the part that's going to be the most difficult. So let's pray and then we'll jump right in. Father God, we thank you that your spirit is already at work this morning. We pray that you would continue to move in our hearts, move among us, be at work. Make us more like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For us in his name we pray. Amen. Now, when I speak of the humanity of Christ, uh, don't be confused into thinking that I'm saying he's just a regular person. Uh, He is not. Um, The fact that he still is not, he was not a regular person. He still is not a regular person. Jesus put... uh, Put his glory aside as the eternally existent son. He set his glory aside and put on flesh and dwelt among us. He has flesh like us even now. Kind of. (laughs) He has a glorified, resurrected body. One that we can look forward to uh, once we are also resurrected. He was not just flesh and blood like us. He was tempted like us in every way. The difference is between him and us. He did not sin. We do. If that's a surprise to you this morning, we have a lot to talk about. Jesus did not just appear to be human. He didn't just look like a human He didn't just show up, put on the suit, and then take it off again. He is completely human. 
while still being completely God. As St. Ambrose said, Jesus took upon himself not the appearance, but the reality of incarnation. Not just a costume, but the reality of taking on flesh. His humanity doesn't take away anything from his divinity either. In fact, it adds to it. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 through 16 says, Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That thought, these uh, three verses in Hebrews, kind of unlocks our text for this morning. Um, our text in Mark, just in case you thought I forgot. Let's look at that. Mark 14, start at verse 32. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. While he said to them, uh, and he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. And they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? That's enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And immediately while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with them a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching and you did not seize me. 
but let the scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. And they seized him. But he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. May the Lord add his blessing to his word this morning. That's my second life verse there. A young man following. I'm just kidding. My real life verse is Job 4.1. That's your homework. You can look that up. Um, so here we have the striking of the shepherd that we talked about last week. Jesus, quoting Zechariah 13.7, said, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. And here we have the prophecy fulfilled just a few hours later. Now, this is the middle of the night before you start thinking Peter and James and John just can't make it through the afternoon. This is uh, this is very early, early in the morning, late at night, somewhere between three, four o'clock in the morning. The scholars agree, though the scripture does not plainly say it, that the young man here mentioned uh, was actually Mark, the author, human author of this gospel. Um, The Greek word translated young man does not mean little kid. Uh, it, It means somewhere between the age of puberty and marrying age. Okay, young man, not not a little boy, not a kid, more likely a teenager. What about the linen cloth? He's just hanging around his shorts. Um, it's a sleeping cloth. He's in his pajamas. Um, the linen cloth was a, was a sleeping garment. Now, if this is truly the case, I don't know. We don't know. It doesn't explicitly say. But it, if, if the scholars are right, that this is truly the case, and think about the timeline here. And maybe this is just because I find this interesting and not necessarily helpful. Uh, but I think about Judas leading. He most likely led this crowd with swords and clubs first to the house where they celebrated Passover. Now, the scholars also agree that this was most likely the house of Mark's family, that the house was owned by Mark's father uh, in Jerusalem. So based on this this line of thinking, Judas most likely led the crowd there first and finding that Jesus and his disciples had left. They went to the next closest place that he knew Jesus frequently spent time. The Gospels say that Judas knew the place where they were, not that they he knew they were going there then, but he was familiar with the place because they had gone there a lot. The olive press of Gethsemane. And Mark most likely followed that crowd, perhaps to warn Jesus. We don't know. Maybe just to see what was going on. Got up out of bed when they heard a crowd in the house um, uh, and went to follow. But when they grabbed him, he slipped out of his pajamas and fled. Maybe. Now, I don't want to spend any more time on that. And I also don't want to spend any time on Judas' betrayal. So I do want to rewind back to verse 32. They went to a place called Gethsemane, which means a press, oil press. This was an olive grove. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. 
Gethsemane literally means, that's what the Greek word means, oil press. This was a secluded, uh, probably enclosed garden uh, with an olive orchard and a press for making olive oil. Uh, well known to Jesus and the disciples and Judas. Now, I've been to this spot. Uh, any of you have traveled with the with Bix to the Holy Lands, have, have most likely gone to the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, it was once raised and burned, but the trees were allowed to grow back, and the olive trees that are growing in that place now are about 1,500 years old. If I do my math, 1,525 years old. <laughs> That's, I was there 25 years ago or whatever. It looks much different now, I'm sure, but it is still a beautiful place. And at the entrance of this garden, he told the eight told eight of the disciples to sit there while he went further in to pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. Greatly distressed and troubled. I'm not sure exactly what's in the minds of the translators here, why they use these words, greatly distressed and troubled. I'm sure they have good reason. They're a lot smarter than me. I don't mean to pick apart their work. But these words are not very good choices for what the Greek words say. The word that's translated here, greatly distressed, that's to me, furrowed brow, you know, feeling kind of, ooh, things are not good. That's not what the Greek word is used for. It's used other places in the New Testament when Jesus was walking on water. What did the disciples think they saw? A ghost. They were terrified. Same word. Terrified as seeing a ghost. It's the same word as the reaction to a, a crack of thunder. Terror is fear. Jesus was afraid. Hmm. Hmm. He was in anguish and he was afraid. Now, you're thinking maybe not my Jesus. No, no, no. Don't you do it. Don't be confused. It is not sinful to be afraid. This was another temptation of Jesus by Satan. What does that fear motivate us to do? That's the problem of sin. Does it push us to trust the Father more? Or does it push us to turn away from him? Jesus chose to trust him. He said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. Perhaps you can identify with this thought. Jesus was distressed almost to the point of death. What he was facing was more than he could bear. He knew what was coming. And he knew that he would have to face it alone. The hour that was coming, that he was asking the Father to allow to pass from him, meant the desertion of his friends 
and the desertion of his father. But instead of allowing fear to drive Jesus to sin, instead it drove him to the father in prayer. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and he prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. I have a quote I don't want to share. I didn't want to share it before. I want to share it even less now. Alistair Begg said, You have heard that there is power in prayer. There is no power in prayer. There is only power in God. Now, before you start thinking, uh, he told us not to pray. (laughs) That's not what I'm saying at all. It's not what Alistair Begg was saying. No. After all, here we have Jesus, our example, praying here in our text. He is our example, not me, not Alistair Begg, Jesus. And here he is praying. Is there power in his prayer? No. The power that Jesus received was not from prayer itself, but from the Father when Jesus submitted to his will. Submission to God's will is the key to receiving power from God to accomplish God's will. That's the will that matters. That's what Jesus is declaring, that it's God's will that matters, and he is the one that can give the power to accomplish it, only by our submission to it. Jesus sincerely prayed for the hour to pass from him, that he would not have to drink the cup of God's wrath for the sin of mankind and all the horrors that came with it. He prayed, Abba, Dad, Papa, all things are possible for you, period. Remove this cup from me, period. That's what our prayers sound like often, isn't it? Lord, I'm dealing with this thing. Please make it stop. Father, I have pain, emotional, physical, whatever. Make it stop. Amen. There's no power in that prayer. There is no power in that prayer. Our Father hears us. He has compassion, but there's no power in a prayer that tells God what to do contrary to his will. Jesus knew that the father had a purpose for what he was about to go through. But that didn't stop him in his humanity from being afraid of it. He was afraid. He knew God had a purpose, but he was still afraid. He still wanted to avoid it. 
The difference is in the rest of Jesus' prayer. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Not my wishes, not my desires, your desires, your wishes. How often do we close our prayers with, Lord, thanks for hearing my prayers. Now, please don't do as I asked. That's exactly what Jesus said. Jesus prayed, I don't want to do this. I want you to stop this. But that doesn't matter. What you want matters. And I'll do it. That is a prayer of faith. That is trust in God. Faith is not just believing what we can't see. That's foolish. It's trusting in the one we can't see. And Jesus came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, every time Jesus calls Peter Simon, he's pointing out the weakness of his flesh, just in case you were wondering. Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. This tissue is not for emphasis. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Who's Jesus talking about? Oh, Peter, right? Well, your spirit is willing. But your flesh clearly can't stay awake. No. Jesus wasn't talking about the disciples. Maybe in part. After all, Peter had just said that even if he had to die with Jesus, he'd never deny him and then promptly fell asleep. In his spirit, Jesus was talking about himself, who's willing to drink the cup of God's wrath, but in his flesh he was afraid, and he needed strength from the Father to accomplish his will. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And he came again and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? That's enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise and let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Jesus prayed and asked the Father to remove the cup from him, to let the hour pass. But in the end, he submitted to his will. And the hour came, and he was betrayed by his friend. He was deserted by his followers, and he was stricken by God. But because Jesus submitted to the will of the Father, it was not Christ and righteousness that was captured. It was sin and Satan. God's great purpose, our redemption, 
was accomplished through Jesus' submission. And he is our example. Who knows what he'll accomplish through ours. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We still bring our requests to God and we can come to him in confidence because he knows, he knows. He knows. And the answer to our prayer is that we would receive mercy and grace to help in our times of need. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come to your throne boldly and with confidence to ask for mercy and grace to help in our times of need. For some, that time of need is right now. I pray that you would give mercy and grace and help. Father, when we pray, I thank you that it's not your hand that moves, but our hearts. May our hearts align with yours. May we submit our will to yours. Knowing that what's happening to us, what has happened to us, or what will happen to us, is not an accident. Not a mistake. But your will being accomplished. Help us, Lord, not to waste any more time trying to make sense of that, but simply trust you. Knowing that you're not only in control, but that you care about us. You care for us. And so we do cast our cares upon you. We love you, Father. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for giving us a Savior that knows knows the temptations we face, knows the fears that we face, and gave us an example of what to do, a way to deal with it without sin, and that way is submission. Thank you, Father. May your word take deep root in our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890.